I really gotta remember that I have this skill. Colossus Smash. Every 45 seconds I can smash somebody for some damage, then increase damage dealt to that person for by 30% for 10 seconds. Kind of a big deal. It can only be uh, it can only be up like 20% of the time because of a 45 second cooldown, but like I gotta gotta remember to use that. Uh, put, I put that over on the left side of my bar to try to remember it more. Anyway, this will probably be a shorter Patreon question video. Uh, I'm, my schedule's a little overplanned. I was actually almost considering not making one a little bit. Uh, I've overplanned my schedule, but also I'm trying to. Uh, I got Bird to say yes to recording more satisfactory, which I think will be a high demand series, but all of my current playthroughs are currently in progress, so I can't really do satisfactory right now, especially when Sekiro is also coming out. Uh, so, like, my I talked about last week about how my emergency slot, the Let's Try slot, is kind of being replaced by Sekiro. Or more specifically, it's being replaced by the back end of Deltarune, more or less-ish. That kind of idea. Uh, in the meantime, I gotta figure out... Like, at the same time uh, Satisfactory comes out, and I'm like, I, th I think people want to see do Satisfactory. I want to do Satisfactory, but there's just too many damn games. Uh, but I talked Bird into doing it, so that's going to be the multiplayer game for a while. And uh, I was a little worried that it was going to be like an every other day or every few days thing, because usually Bird only records one two-hour session once a week, which is kind of not an... If, in a perfect world, that's maybe four episodes, which is less than... Which is only about half the week's videos instead of all of it. But I got... He's doing... We're doing two consecutive days. So at least for the opening chunk of Satisfactory being out, we'll have that up. But that, that also means that my schedule's kind of a mess because I'm also... I have major weekend plans in addition to that. Uh, so... I'm a little behind on a number of things, generally speaking. But it's fine. That, that takes me to the Blasted Lands. I don't really want to go to the Blasted Lands right now. So welcome to this cool place. I have a little bit of a story about this. So this is a this is a mystery place to me a little bit. I've never really been here. I've never leveled here. This is blind for me, more or less. Which is rare for the original two continents. But I do have a story relating to this place. Because AQ, which is the instance in this area, it's like Ancourage or something like that. Uh, I was playing this game when it launched. Like, I remember when it launched. But, and I even had, I had a horde at the time. It was the horde warrior that would eventually be, it was the orc warrior that eventually maxed out at level 51 is the furthest I got with him, ultimately. But that was back when being that, getting that level was a massive commitment. Oh, that's level I am. And the class that I am, but I'm a troll this time. That's funny, actually, that right when I tell the story, I'm a level 51 warrior on the horde team. I didn't think about that until just now. But I was an orc back then. Uh... So I was there when AQ was launching. It was the big instance because they, what they do is they they uh, in MMOs there's things called raids where uh, something on the along the lines of twenty to forty or to a hundred people or whatever depending on which MMO it is all group up to fight their way through an especially hard dungeon that's very very punishing but will reward you with nice loot that you can't find anywhere else in the game and usually really big almost impossible bosses that you have to do crazy amounts of coordination and planning and especially in the early weeks trial and error to figure out how the boss even works to because it's a mystery how to even survive the fight at all because it's not it's it's not just simply most video games where you fight a big dude he has a health bar you have health bars try to empty his health bar first mmorpg raid boss encounters are a special kind of insane gameplay that is not 
replicated pretty much anywhere else in video games and doesn't really largely uh it 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 really is like a unique experience that no one will kind of understand unless they've had it which is a little weird to say uh it's and if 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 you don't know what i'm talking about then that might even inform why some why you might not fully understand sometimes when i talk about how engaging world of warcraft was once upon time because the uh, the whole game as a whole was at least closer to that uh but they're they're essentially massive puzzles slash coordination projects where a huge number of people are all fighting this big thing and basically it, it i oh one of the only things I can even compare it to outside of raiding would probably be Overwatch a little bit. Just because in Overwatch, when you get into the intricacies of like what every single character does in a party and who to target first and all the things going on within that thing. And like that, the, the importance of having a certain number of healers and a certain number of damage dealers and a certain amount of crowd control and a certain amount of tanks in the party. And like a main tank and an off tank and the concept of a main healer and an off healer or things like including characters that don't necessarily quite do as much damage as other characters but they provide more buffs to the party as a whole or they uh, can provide crowd control to temporarily remove certain combatants from the fight in large in larger fights so that they less is going on to certain amounts of like defensive things and all these different tricks that all come in that come into the incredibly complicated thing that is like an overwatch party because in overwatch you start off like picking like some tanks and some healers and some dps and for, for for what i'm dealing with trying to get my way through bronze and silver league like that kind of shit is the basic building block that you're just trying to get right because these guys will not do that and your party will fall apart if you can't just get a basic setup but you have but it does but even in overwatch it's not that simple because you have characters like may that don't seem like they're the most high damage character but they're not in the healing or tanking categories they're in the the damager category technically but what they actually provide is the bizarre abilities of like being able to use a slow gun that slows down individual enemies and eventually stops them or having a uh thing uh, the ability to create an ice wall which physically barriers people off which primarily involves in may's case trapping enemies separate from all of their allies so they can be singled out and picked off in a way that is often harder to do otherwise and so on like really intricate shit that is way more complicated than anything that you usually are used to encountering in a boss fight because most boss fights people encounter in normal video games are in the context of a single player video game. And generally speaking, single player games just can't get that complicated because generally you're one guy that has to fight the thing. If I were to take any guess, there might be some similar similar crazy stuff going on in some... Uh, there might be similar stuff going on in some CRPGs because at least there you're a single person controlling a party of characters and you can pause as you go to react to really complicated things as along the way. But generally speaking, single player games don't really facilitate that kind of level of complexity in a way that a huge raid boss can. And it uh, it's no joke to say that I used to play this stuff full time. Like I used to play this game like it was my job when I was a teenager and uh, it was all getting uh, up to raid gear and, and actually like I was the I was the leader of an entire class within my guild I was the rogue class leader so I knew 
my, not only did I know all my shit about my rogue, I knew shit about larger, like, meta progression stuff that you had to know. And, like, what gear was vi most viable for each raid uh, boss. And, like, I actually was organizing, like, switching out rogues from within my guild during different parts of the same instance in order to optimize the chance that each person would get the drops that they need next without and try to avoid the idea of the big uh, next drop happening when we have one of the people in that already has that particular item and stuff like that. Like I was micromanaging all, all sorts of shit while also being the top DPS of my entire raid whenever I was in a raid while also not generally being the reason we wiped, which admittedly is kind of easier as a rogue. But uh, on some level, it's hard, it's hard to sum summarize a little bit, but some of it involves, on the most basic level at times, it involves, like, damage spots. A lot of enemies have zones where if you stand in that zone, you will die. And, you, and they'll come up on, on, like, periodic timings and tricks like that will happen. The, some, en some enemies will have things where, like, they will use a crowd control on the actual leader of your raid... Like, the tank that is the person that's holding the boss will suddenly become incapacitated in some way, which, if handled wrong, means the boss will start running around and one-shotting all of the healers, and they won't be able to get back up. And it's kind of a big, uh... It's kind of... the uh, a, a raid is almost like a weird game of, uh... What is it called? Shit, what is it called? And the vocabulary is gone! The terminology for a battle where you both slowly lose resources and vitality. It's a battle of... It's not coming. <laughs> it's not coming. I know the word, it's, but it's not coming to me now. Uh, but like, it, it's, a, it's a big gamble because like whenever you... Whenever people in your party go down, you... Uh, that's just all the harder it's going to be. Like if a healer goes down, then all the healers left in the party are going to be that much more uh, poorly off when when it comes to healing the actual uh, main tank, which is taking all this damage, and you have to maintain a bandwidth of healing, which the basic bandwidth of how fast all of the healers can heal combined is itself one problem to manage that gets harder and harder the more healers get killed by problems happening. But there's also the issue of the healers having a maximum mana cap, and if they run out of mana uh, midway through the fight, then they just stop healing. And there's each individual class has individual things that they can use to mitigate that or trick with or try to work with that and so on, and character builds and items and so on. But there's so many moving parts involved. But the same goes for everything. Like if like if the tank main tank goes down, can the off tank gain the attention of the boss via aggro? in time before it just starts wiping too much of the of the raid that to the point where the raid just goes down uh even dps which feel disposable by comparison if too many dps to go down the boss will take two dps standing for damage per second the damagers the attacking characters basically my rogue I, I usually uh i was gonna say most characters i've played in this game and in my shows but actually i've been playing more support characters during these playthroughs on purpose uh, but I've, I always play DPS until YouTube videos, basically. Uh, DPS is the entire center category of Overwatch. Uh, if too many DPS characters, which individually don't wipe the raid when they go down, but if they too, too many of them go down, then suddenly the boss is taking too little damage, which means that overall, uh, the boss will 
not go down fast enough leading to uh, uh and leaning heavier on the problem of like the healers running out of uh mana eventually and like the old all the different factors that can lead to the raid running out of steam and the boss then being able to overpower you so like the dps has a role because the faster they can down the boss then the healthier everybody is as a result uh and then on top of all this there was also enraged timers where the boss itself would just flip out after a certain time essentially one of the many mitigating things to add to this whole thing is that they added a time limit to each boss fight where if it if they would become enraged if the fight lasted long enough and they'd be, it was like a second wind almost they just became comically powerful and did crazy numbers and would just destroy is it's basically like a it's basically like having a game over time limit, except without having the game just say you lose. Instead, the character, the boss, just becomes way too overpowered, and you go through what is a, a raid wipe, the way you would have if you had made a mistake. But in this case, the mistake was being too slow. Video games. I miss this stuff, but I don't have the time for it. And also, maybe the video game, a lot of the games aren't necessarily like that. Uh, if you look at the other group people that, that I play games with, particularly. Uh, Nick and Marty they actually still play World of Warcraft in a raiding guild that they've been a part of for like a decade and so they're still on this and as far as Marty has said uh it's all the raiding content's just way easier than it used to be back in the day uh and there, there was some really hard stuff back then but uh, generally and I'm somebody who likes boss fights but single player boss fights are very different in a way that's not necessarily worse but just simpler like a Dark Souls boss, you fight off against the dude, and you're dodging his attacks, and you're trying to get your attacks in, and that's basically the core idea, is just doing the, doing the taking the defensive actions you need to take in order to not take damage, which largely avoids dodging attacks and getting out of explosions or whatever, and then just, just poking him whenever you get the chance until the health until his health goes down before your health goes down. A standard boss fight. But MMOs are different in a way that's really hard to fully articulate, and the number of variables there is just crazy. And it doesn't help that when I, if you try to explain this stuff, like, you can't just show people a video. Because if you watch a video of a raid boss from, like, and, if, and you'd want to look at something from the original World of Warcraft or from Burning Crusade, uh, you usually can't tell what's happening at all. Which is also a thing in Overwatch that people talk about. In fact, I get that on my videos when people make the mistake of watching later in the series instead of the beginning where some of the stuff was maybe explained a bit more is that uh people have no idea what's happening in that game it's just noise because it specifically isn't halo it's not a bunch of people that are all equal to each other all fighting each other with guns that they can all equally have that work like normal guns it's a bunch of unique character classes almost like you would find in an rpg all duking it out in a completely asymmetrical way and it's crazy and that's part of why I like Overwatch potentially is because it, de it delves into some of that complexity and craziness while also allowing me to play a shooter that doesn't necessarily re rely entirely on my aim as the core mechanic for being able to win because my aim has decayed over the last decade of me not playing any first-person shooters and I will it's just not very fun to compete against people that just obliterate you which is what it's like when people have been playing non-stop in all that time that I haven't been playing non-stop. Well, that's been a whole thing. I did not mean to spend a bunch of time on this. I did. This is an accident, but maybe this is interesting. Uh, 
as far as the story goes though specifically i i have a i have one specific memory about this zone and the zone we just left which is that crater because while i would often go to thousand needles and Tenaris, which were the desert the that that flooded area that we went to before that didn't used to be flooded and that desert area i was in two zones ago i don't normally go to the crater which is the jungle hole over here that we were just in for the last few episodes with the dinosaurs and stuff and I don't usually, I basically have never come here. Like, this was Tenaris, and this was Thousand Needles. And from there, we came there from Southern Barrens, or more specifically, Duskwallow Marsh, which we came to from Southern Barrens, which we came to from Stone Talon Mountains, which we came to from Northern Barrens, which midway through that, we went to Ashen Vale, and then back down to Northern Barrens. But we started in Durotar, and specifically the Echo Isles. There, that's the whole path we just took so far in the last 30 episodes or whatever it's been. Yay. <laughs> I can still remember it. Although it's kind of easy to remember when it's more or less a line of linear progression. Well, not linear, but it's linear in retrospect. Because it, it's like a fam. It's like looking at, at like tree branches. Like the, the, the When you're going in one direction, there's a bunch of forks. But when you go the other direction, it's just a, it's just a straight path. Because it's a, the directions only happen in one direction, uh, the choices only happen happen in one direction. I mean, uh, but as far as the story goes, it was way back before I ever raided in this game. I was still leveling characters. I leveled several alliance characters, then started over on a horde server because my friends were playing on it, and so I started making these horde characters. Hit, hit level fifty one as that orc warrior, which now I'm fifty two. I took so long to take to, to get to the actual meat of the story that I've leveled up. Uh, I hit level 51, and then actually what happened is uh, one summer in the final years of us getting, uh, in the final years of us all being in school together in high school, we all decided, let's all make alliance characters from scratch on a server that none of us have characters on, so we can all start on an even footing, because part of the MMO experience is usually that everyone starts at different times, it's really staggered, and it makes it kind of hard to play together, so making a bunch of characters at the same time as a group was made it, made it possible to be friends in the game better and that kind of became our experience and that character was the one i eventually hit 300 days played in and uh rated as and became rogue leader and everything but before that when i was level 51 orc warrior and all that or before i was 51 but but i was that orc warrior they were launching this event and i just had the most awful experience because i, I just wanted to be there for the event i just wanted to see it desperately because it was one of the first times that a really big thing was happening in WoW when I was playing the game. And I knew about it and I could potentially try to be there. There's only one massive problem, which is that my character was high enough level to be in Tenaris, but he was not high enough level to be in this zone. In fact, he was not only, he not only was not high enough level to be in this zone, he was not high enough level to be in the crater between that zone and this zone, which is an intermediate intermediate level of zone, uh, it was a is a problem. The uh, <laughs> uh, but it was this big thing where like it's not just that uh, thing was launching; it was a thing that like the the build up had been a thing. There was this war effort in the game where you were supposed to farm these resources and feed them to these NPCs. And these re and those resources would make your number go up, and you were you were basically like competing against the opposite alliance of your particular faction. So it was like alliance versus horde, and it was all a race to unlock the dungeon. Because instead of just getting the dungeon as an as a thing that just came out and a content update, it specifically was going to open up 
during an event caused by finishing this massive server-wide quest of this huge war effort. This whole we-can-do-it thing. And it was... It's a fun idea, at the very least. It's not that fun in practice because you're just farming resources and making a number go up. But the idea that it's a server-wide thing and that you're specifically competing against the other faction on your server is, like, a fun idea. And what had, what had happened is the Horde had won. It was going to... The, the door was going to open. It was time to see it. But my character wasn't high enough level to get in this zone because this is an endgame zone for Vanilla WoW. L the, le the level 55 to 60 stuff ish is like that was the level cap that level 60 used to be the end of the game now it's like a level 110 or 115 120 something like that uh that's how it used to be and i wanted to make it anyway so i landed in Tenaris and i ran into the crater and i was running in on foot i think and I go into this fucking crater and there's dinosaurs as far as you can see. It was one of the first like horror experiences I had in World of Warcraft, which is that everywhere I went, uh, there was these massive dinosaurs that would just destroy me. And they were actually threatening because unlike most enemies there, it's like, oh, that's the design of the enemy. But ultimately, it's just another mob that I fight with the same mostly the same way. The enemies in that zone were all massively higher level than me and I could not handle them. When, it, when, it, when an enemy is like 10 levels above you, they get, they have a skull for a level. Like right here where it says 51, their level is a skull. And that usually means they're just going to one-shot you if they actually get you. And as you will remember when we were in that zone, there was that one mega dinosaur there that was just comically impossibly huge. And that was definitely one of my nemeses that I was trying to avoid. But as I got about halfway through the crater... And every time you die, you have to you respawn by going all the way back to the graveyard as a... You spawn in the graveyard as a ghost, then run all the way back to your corpse, and then respawn that way, which you've seen me do a few times this run. Uh, every time I, I... I was just trying to sneak my way through there, and halfway through the zone, the... The servers start shitting themselves, and I start getting that kind of lag where you run in a straight line for a while, but you start noticing that none of the NPCs are behaving correctly... And then you get kicked out to the character select screen, and then you log back in, and you're and you're backwards. You're no longer where you were on your screen because actually you you on your screen on the client side you had been running around, but on the server side the server had already shut had already shit itself and it wasn't coming back, and so that whole time <laughs> you hadn't actually made any progress. And so I sat there for like two hours, I want to say, running forward in the forest getting disconnected, teleporting back, and then also periodically getting one-shot by dinosaurs, which would sometimes mean that you would then respawn as a ghost and have to run back to your your corpse. But the same lag problem was still happening, so I could get disconnected and booted from the game as a ghost and, and can make negative progress and have to start over at running towards my own corpse over and over again. It was just a fucking mess. Uh, I, I think I ultimately gave up when... I hit a point where I could I just could not reconnect again. I don't think I even made it to Silithid, which is the zone we're in right now. I think I actually just my hopes died in Ungoro Crater. And as a as a result, until this series, I think I've largely avoided that crater until now. And so this being in this comically crystallized looking zone uh here is like the first time I've ever been here, which is kinda neat. Because there's not a lot, there's not a lot of stuff I haven't seen in the original, uh, in the original Warcraft continents. 
at least not in their original form because they did remake the entire continents to some extent uh a while ago one of the one of those uh one of those things unique to world of warcraft players that's one of those oh my god i'm old moments so much time has passed i'm turning into dust before my own very eyes is uh knowing about how old cataclysm is because cataclysm was an expansion where they remade all these zones in part because they wanted to enable flying mounts in the original game which flying mounts were added in the first expansion and not in, and they were not in, in the original game uh, and the original game is full of unfinished zones that you would that would look really bad if you could fly over them which is a problem so if you uh, like which is something I used to do uh, both in Halo 2 and in World of Warcraft my friends and I used to jump out of the levels we'd find a way to glitch through walls and so on and get into zones you weren't supposed to be in and there's entire chunks i think specifically next to searing gorge i think it's searing gorge or the burning steps the burning steps goes to the coastline i think it was the burning steps this is yeah like this is a big flaming zone and over here is this this ridge of mountains you could do really careful jumping up the wall and you'd kind of like if you jumped fast enough ran rapidly enough instead of sliding down the wall you'd keep finding a way to jump again and you would slowly slowly make your way up the wall it was infuriating but you could eventually jump over the entire mountain range into an, a, a completely undeveloped zone of the game it was just a flat weirdly spiky sometimes chunk of land with no it just didn't look like a landscape. It was just a weird template. And it had that thing you see when the zone hasn't been... That is always been a point of reference for me when I see a zone that's not finished. Where you would see like... Weird jagged terrain of spikes. That isn't like... Intentional spikes. But just weird artifacts of something. Spikes. Just nonsensical geometry. And that, that used to be some of the fun of all that. Uh, I actually forgot why I was thinking about that. Oh, it's because the 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 expansion where they changed everything. They had to revamp all that kind of stuff. In addition to also adding the the cataclysm itself, which is that like an apocalypse type world event was happening. So every zone, or at least a lot of zones, had major changes to happen. They got to revamp the quest lines and everything, but they also did a thing where they. Uh, Oh god, how do I multi-target? There we go. It's been a bit. They revamped quest lines, but they also added some kind of bad thing, like a giant hole or something to each zone, just to make it look like it had been hit by some local, tr local, uh, some sort of local tragedy or some sort of local event that made it more, more, uh, is an excuse to change things, more or less. Uh, the barons, which I which I call northern and southern barons, used to be one zone instead of two separate things, and it was the biggest zone in the entire game, and it was comical, and it had a specific thing called Baron's Chat that was infamous amongst all of World of Warcraft, because so many players in a frustrating open desert of a zone that was actually kind of a rough area to level up in general, but was the most popular area because uh, the orcs and the trolls and the tauren all like out of the game had four races per team and three of the four races all dumped into the barons because they had, they had a thing it was, it was a really weird split actually 
is actually kind of noticeably different from the Alliance because in, in the Alliance, the uh, the humans were in one area, the orcs and uh, the, the dwarves and gnomes were in another area and the night elves were in a third area and they could eventually meet up if they wanted to, but they kind of had different paths they could level through if they wanted to. But really strangely, uh, the on the orc on the on the horde side, uh, the undead were on the on the other continent entirely, and they had their own path they could follow. But the orcs and the trolls were in one starting zone together, just like the gnomes and the dwarves. And then the because like this is Durotar, so orcs are up here, trolls are down here. And then here's the barons. Here's Mulgor, which is where the Torin are. And as you can see, there's a little opening here, which will feed into the barons. So the three of the four t uh, races on this team all fed all fed into the barons. So not only were three uh, three fourths of the players, if you assume that there was an even split of races, which there wasn't, uh, three fourths of the players were all fed into one zone as the most logical place to go next. Just like geography-wise, uh, for the next leveling zone. Uh, and it was one giant zone that had an unusually... It was like a tw it, the leveling... The, num the level range of the zone was like twice as big as possible, as normal for a zone. And, it, and that was partly because the zone itself was twice as big as normal. But the way that chat rooms worked in this game is that each individual room... Uh, each individual zone has its own general chat. So Baron's general chat was this massive area that was like... It was something like 30, it felt like it was like like 20 to 30% of the like population of the server at the time was all in one chat. And it was just vile and awful and just people yelling and memes and just like, it's just, it's just, it was just the specific cesspool that only existed in, in there of more than anywhere else. In part because they had no, no, they had no other, uh, they had no other purpose to fulfill in their activities. Because it's not like anyone there is like going to be using traded chat to trade trade their items or or looking for group chat or any of the other places to do anything in particular. Everybody there was just in general chat talking about whatever they felt like, and it was just it was just way too much. And I am this has been a weird episode. I have straight up like thrown away most of the episode probably on random stories, but I uh, hope you like it. Uh, it happens. It's good. I, I can ration out my Q and A. I can I can ration out my remaining questions because they they there's only so many, and uh, I got a spurt of them for last episode in particular. But then I kind of burned through a lot of them immediately because some questions just don't prompt as much discussion as other ones. I did get a number of questions, but the they're not necessarily the most uh, long topic ones in some cases. But let's let's finish this fight up real quick. And then actually start a question for the love of God before people get too angry. Joker asks, what do you think about the Epic Store exclusivity stuff? Mainly that they pay developers for exclusivity to their store. So I know people are mad about this. I don't. I just don't care. I just, I just don't. And you can, uh, in general, talking about this is a little weird just because, uh, I, I have a way of making money off of the Epic Store, which can at least come with the uh, the implication of bias, which means that people can just disregard anything I say because 
it sounds like they have a way of they have a way of throwing away my opinion based on that fact uh and i guess that's true but also i'll talk shit about youtube or patreon doing dumb shit and they are my entire income whereas epic is not even a sustainable income source it's just something that i'm experimenting with because they give me the option Specifically, what I like about the creator tag referral link thing about Epic is that it actually lets me make money off of something while not getting my hands dirty in the weirdness that is like sponsored content in particular. Uh, because of the fact that I have the creator tag, it's just like a weird automated service. Like somebody had, I, I believe somebody had to check me and approve me when I first applied for it to confirm that i'm who i am and whatever and you and you know then you file tax shit the same way that you do with youtube and patreon and everything uh but aside from that now it's just it's just going and people use the link or the my referral code and i make some money and it just happens on its own and i don't need to endorse things i i had a bunch of complaints and issues with the game ashen when in if you if whereas if you want to like if you want to believe that i'm just going to be this corrupt source that just wants to make money and will sell myself to and my opinions specifically just to make more money then i would have never gone on big rants about all the issues i see about ashen because painting the prettiest picture about that game possible is the best way to convince people to buy said game and I would potentially, like, deceptively edit the series to make the the playthrough look like the game was better and so on. Like, I could... The, there's things you can do to make a game look better, generally speaking. A lot of that comes up specifically in sponsored content a lot of the times. So there's often, like, a, a pamphlet that the person gets about what they're allowed to say and what they're allowed to do and what to show and what not to show about the stuff. And I specifically avoid that shit as best as I can, both in my Let's Tries and all my other stuff. Uh... So I would hope that people can see some little credibility here and not just think that I'm not and not think that I am like going to just pa uh, passively endorse uh, Epic just because I can make a few hundred dollars off of it sometimes. Uh, but, you know, part of my thing is that I never really hear about any digital marketplace for video games or really anything in the video game industry as having their hands clean. So while I won't pretend that there's nothing wrong at all with any of these places like Epic, it's just that I there's too much shit I see wrong about other places too. Like stuff like the Steam store having a rape game coming out and having to come up with a really dumb technicality like milk toast explanation for why the rape game is not going to be on their platform instead of just, you know, banning it because it's a rape game and just having the courage to admit that you don't want rape games on your store like instead they had to like couch it in a bunch of excuses and bullshit and try to like play both sides and be really like garbagey about the whole thing and like and the, the num number of if you practices and there's, it's always been known that steam needs some level of competition uh there's been there's been complaints about most of the platforms in general i i hear just the worst thing sometimes about the people that run GOG, which is a bummer because I'm not entirely clear on the connection, but I believe GOG is ultimately re related to CD Projekt Red and so on. I 
think they're supposed to be kind of the same company-ish or subsidiaries or sister companies or something. And you know, obviously a big fan of Witcher 3 and exploring that universe and looking forward to, and to, to, to uh, Cyberpunk, but also the people that... And, and GOG is a cool idea for a store that does good things and helps keep old games playable while also selling stuff on a non-DRM thing, but then you just hear really concerning things about the people that run it. Uh, and there's, there's a number of things like that. So when people freak out about, like, a Chinese company owns part of Epic or things like that, I'm kind of... I'm, I don't know, I'm just kind of numb to it. Because I, I, I feel like people will make a big deal about something in part just because they've picked their side. It often feels like a level of tribalism, like people have picked a side, PS4 versus Xbox One, or so on and so forth, and kind of have to kick and scream about the thing that isn't quite what they want. And normally, it's a little bit more understandable just because at least you have a monetary... Uh, you have a you have a monetary investment to make to buy a video game console, one or the other, and people often can't buy all of them, so you have to choose one, and you want to feel like the cho choice you made it was the best one, so people will often get weirdly toxic about arguments about what which about corporate corporations that don't care about them and stuff uh, because they want to feel like they chose the right platform and so on. Uh, it all feels weird with PC because all this stuff can just all coexist. Like I can have all of them. I do. I have. I don't normally have them all running at the same time or anything because that's just wasteful and not the best plan. But like I have, I have a shortcut directory that has Steam, GOG, Origin, uh, Epic Games Store, and maybe something else. I don't remember. I don't have. I don't have any UPlay yet, and I'm not really in a hurry, just because I don't like Ubisoft's games mostly. Uh, and like it's it's fine. I can open this game. I can open one launcher for Apex and one launcher for Satisfactory and one launcher for this game. Oh yeah, Battle.net is on there. I don't think I said Battle.net, did I? I opened Battle.net in order to play this game and Overwatch. I open because Epic has Satisfactory and Ashen. I I open Steam for my library of thousands of games, which is often what we're using here. Although yeah, I it see, this competition is good. And actually, I, I, I'm interested in seeing what happens in, in part because I don't think Steam is super... I wonder, I wonder. There was that news story about why Half-Life 2 is dead, and it was largely talking about how Valve is this noise of a company. It's just a bunch of people working in a building with no particular structure. It's just a nightmare mess. Uh, where people are just, uh, they're free to do whatever they want, man. Like, it feels like that one beanbag company, that one that one parody of a tech company from GTA Five, where everyone's sitting in bean beanbag chairs and stuff like that. Like, it feels like that's the idea, sort of, of what Valve is to some extent. Just because it feels like this, it's apparently this giant, unstructured mess of a company. Uh, and that's, and so, like, it's because you can't sufficiently organize enough people in that under that structure in order to force something like half-life 2 to happen or half-life 3 i mean 
uh, that leads to it just never happening. Like Half-Life 3 was a project that got started and then stopped like over and over again for like a decade and it just never came out. And it's because they could never actually organize the company as a whole to do it. And something that I see about that is that inevitably you create a problem when you get this giant store and it's doing really pro it's it's turning a big profit steam like you have this big you, you have this big workhorse and suddenly it's like well how do we make steam better how do we do more sales how do we do more things and it's like they've they've focused on that so heavily uh i think specifically because it turns a profit so it's like it's one thing to it's one thing to think about like what will be fun and fulfilling to do but at the end of the day you're working a job and you have an income and a household to take care of and so on and responsibilities so if you have a way of increasing the the income of the company and yourself potentially you're pro i, I imagine you're going to focus on that and so i, I imagine that the steam is probably what killed half-life which is funny because half-life is what brought life to steam because originally and I'll remind everyone this this is a thing for every store ever. Uh Half-Life was a Steam exclusive. Exclusive game. So yeah, I'm working my way towards the topic of the question. Uh like this exclusives are how you get people to use these these launchers in the first place. Uh but yeah, I think that uh I think what killed Half-Life ultimately was the fact that these people would probably rather spend their time focusing on the thing that's going to increase their quality of life rather than the the artistic project that they're known for necessarily like once once steam took over as the big thing that their company has i think that just became the driving force for really obvious economic reasons uh but i do want i i do wonder if they can handle competition specifically because of the fact that uh I'd, that that lack of structure I'm talking about likely leads to a situation where they probably aren't very fast to react in some cases unless they can properly organize or unless something has changed about the structure since that article came out about their inner workings. I'd be interested in it. I'd be interested to know. I'm covered in bad guys. As you do. Uh, that's a whole... It's just a thing. I'd, I'd be curious to think that, it, like, they... Steam has never had a had a threat ever, as far as I'm aware, since it since it started hitting it big. It was kind of the first thing of its kind for PC uh, that ever reached any level of anything, and it's existed in that form on its own. So any amount of development it happened and had did was kind of self driven and slow, and oftentimes things like required refunds and stuff like that largely happened not because they wanted to but because some part of the like some european some european country or something would be like no this is the law and you need to but you need to obey our law now if you want to be selling stuff to people in our in our country like that kind of stuff as far as i'm aware is how stuff like refunds even became a feature on steam and many other many other elements of the thing over time uh it's never necessarily been the best system that it could be but by and large, it's become the the automatic default thing that everyone uses, just because it is the it's where everybody is. It's where all the games are, and it's where all the players are, and so that just that's how video games tend to work. It's like how 
the t the people tend to gravitate not to necessarily the best multiplayer competitive game, for example, but the multiplayer competitive game that has the most players, because then you're going to have the best experience regardless of stuff, because it's the momentum of it all. But until now, they've never been challenged by really anything, it seems, because even with GOG and stuff, it never has felt like things have had the pull they needed to stand independent and to really shake things up. So largely, I think Steam has just ignored these other places. In particular, what stands out to me is that GOG has kind of repeatedly given me signs that they have not been able to necessarily compete on a on a meaningful level with Steam, even if I can't see numbers necessarily, which is that, uh, one, GOG puts out all these, like, remasters, these, like, uh, these, re these the, the, all these games like Anachronox and so on are games that show up on GOG specifically in a form that is retooled to work on modern systems. And then suddenly, like a year, like months or years later, it shows up on Steam. And, and, and as far as I can tell, that is more or less like the GOG version coming out on a different platform. And they tried to make Thronebreaker a exclusive GOG game, but it was tanking. And since it was tanking, you know, even though it's CD Projekt Red and it's a Witcher game and Witcher was such a big hit and everything, uh, that game was doing very poorly. And so they had to they had to port it to Steam. I think it was less than a month after launch. Like it was, it was fast that it, it got uh, added to the Steam store. Because even though they own GOG, they couldn't handle having the game be exclusive to GOG because they would not survive. Uh, they needed to recoup their losses. Meanwhile, uh, Metro Exodus comes out on Epic. And it evidently, I, th I think I heard that it sold 2.5 times as many copies as it did on Steam. Or as, as Last Light did on Steam, which was their previous Metro game. So, like, even though it's a new store, like, like, I keep hearing people raise this argument that Epic is, like, buying out companies and then these companies then put their game on Steam. I mean, on, on, on Epic. And then the the game essentially tanks and is being killed by Epic because it's putting, being put on a platform where no one will buy it. But according to those sales, that's just a lie? That's just a straight up... That's just people just saying what they want to think because they've chosen their tribe and they want to fight for it or whatever? Because apparently... Uh, apparently Metro Exodus is massively more successful on Epic than the previous game was on, ever was on Steam. And there, there's a few reasons potentially for that. Uh, one, the PC marketplace has grown, and two, uh, if you're if you're a game on Epic right now, you have a lot of attention being put on you potentially because Epic just has way fewer games than Steam does. So the ones that are there are noticeable, and it is profitable to probably to be there. But even if that's the case, it still speaks to the the fact that Epic does have people on it enough to to drive those sales on on it in the first place. Because being the most popular game on Epic wouldn't be worth much if nobody was buying games on Epic. But apparently people are, in great numbers. Uh, and ultimately I don't have much that bothers me. People... The refund thing is a bummer, but also it's already fixed. So that's already done. Uh, I haven't heard... I haven't tried it myself yet, so I can't vouch for it yet, but... Uh, they did get refunds added to Epic relatively early on. It just wasn't there at launch. So you can now refund your game for any reason. They basically copied Steam's exact policy on that one. 
So if you if you were bothered about refunds on Epic, which multiple people said they were bothered by previously, uh, that's gone now as far as I'm aware. But I'll do your research, I guess. I haven't had to deal with it, so I haven't looked into it further besides the news that it supposedly exists. Because uh, I imagine it's not entirely automated, so it's possible that people might be getting denied or something, for all I know. And there might be issues that I don't know about. But that's seemingly the biggest problem, and it's gone now. Uh, the other things that I don't fully agree with, like this game doesn't have like this this game doesn't have user reviews, and this thing doesn't have forums. I'm like, well, if you want, I can't help but feel like if you want forums, like you can go to Reddit or something. It, uh, especially since uh, Epic doesn't do super indie games and hasn't opened the floodgates. These are generally games that have a decent amount of attention put on them, and usually have their own subreddit, so you can. There's, there is essentially a de facto forum for each one. It's not. I'm not against the idea of them being used on the Steam, but I just, as what, as a, as what I, I would call myself on some level, like some kind of Steam power user or something, and that I have thousands of games and I literally make a living off of using the platform. And I gotta say, I just don't use Steam forums. Not really. It's it's astonishingly rare. Uh... So I just, it's just not a deal breaker for me, the idea that's that, that Epic doesn't have forums right now for each game. And user reviews are such a fucking mess. They're half memes and half idiots saying, this, I don't have the minimum requirements for this game, and I don't have the self-awareness to realize that that's why the game's not running right or doesn't launch. And then a lot of people that just have really questionable taste in games and also often a lot of political arguments about why a game is, is, is good or not that is just kind of exhausting... I, I've just I've seen so many games that are review bombed, and then you look at the the reviews themselves, and they're complaining about the SJWs, and it's like, oh, is there a girl with some colored hair somewhere in the game? I'm sorry that broke your emotions, and you can't handle video games anymore, because sometimes somebody has blue hair, or maybe there might be a lesbian. Oh no, the SJWs are coming. So I don't I don't value user reviews that often. Uh, they have a particular use sometimes when it comes to this game literally doesn't work on a, on a fundamental level or my, my, for me the most useful thing that user reviews ever say is this is an online only game where the servers are shut down meaning it's not a game anymore. Uh, I think the top example I know of that is uh, Shadowrun. Not the trilogy made by that one company but the other Shadowrun game that came out alongside those from a slightly different company I think was like a multiplayer Shadowrun that looked fun, and it sounds like people liked it. Uh, I wanted to play it with friends someday, because it looked like it'd be cool, but apparently it's online only, and the servers are down now, so... Goodbye forever to that game. Bummer. Uh, those types of your reviews are handy. Uh, but that's generally not a thing that is a problem yet for Epic. And so one thing that I, I would say about Epic is that I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt for a lot of things, primarily because they're a, a new store. And I have used Steam since Half-Life 2 came out, or more specifically since Half-Life 2 Episode 2, no, Episode 1? Half-Life 2 Episode 1, that was my first uh, Valve game. It was called Episode 1, so I thought it was the beginning of Half-Life 2, which you couldn't see why I would think that, because its title is stupid. <laughs> 
It's called Half-Life 2 Episode 1. How is it actually Part 2? Because there was a first game and then Episode 1, then Episode 2, or after the first game. That's a terrible name. It should have been called Half-Life 3, honestly. It should have been Half-Life 3 Episode 1, but then, but of course it was using Half-Life 2's locations and assets and engine and tech and everything, so it would be questionable to call it a sequel either. But it needed a better title than Episode 1. But that was my first Half-Life game. You were required to have Steam in order to play it. So I did. And so I've had Steam since all the way back then when that came out. And Steam was fucking garbage. Steam has been garbage the vast majority of the time that it has ever existed. Uh, and has dragged its feet as hard as possible at making progress in most ways. And I've been there along the way to see that. So like a lot of these features we take for granted were slowly added over time. And I'm generally willing to just assume or at least wait and see that these things might be added to Epic over time. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm que- I, I question why there's some of them are deal breakers in the first place for people. Cause like, Oh, there's no user reviews for Subnautica. The game that has so much attention that it's very easy to gain information about it, but there's no reviews on this store page is kind of weird to me, especially since console games don't have them at all, which is either a huge it's console games are either still the majority or maybe just a large chunk of video games in general i think they're probably still the majority of gaming and console games don't have user reviews unless it changed since i last checked i haven't played a lot of console games the last four years necessarily but as far at the for this whole long time i was watching console games or playing console games like they they just have a store page, and the best you can do is sometimes they let you rate a game from one to five stars, and that's a useless rating. I remember I would look at the score on games on the Xbox 360 for like a decade, and every single game was four point something stars. Because generally speaking, the people that, uh, it might have been that, that review bombing wasn't really a thing back then necessarily. But uh, generally speaking, the people that care enough to even look at the idea of reviewing the thing were just the people that like the game anyway. So everything was given be given was given so many five star ratings that the uh, everything was given so many five star ratings that very few people would ever rate it anything less than five stars. So anyone who actually has a, had a genuine review to give was getting drowned out by hundreds of fans, basically, uh, and so it just didn't amount to anything. And unless something's changed, I think they still don't have proper reviews on consoles anyway. So it's like, I don't, this is a a weird standard to hold specifically Epic to just because Steam happens to have them. But maybe they'll add them anyway. Uh, if people keep requesting it, that's stuff how, that's stuff how, that's how the stuff generally works. Right now they're a brand new store that's probably still hiring employees to manage the whole thing and plan their future. And... You don't generally want to overinvest in this kind of thing. You, it's a, uh, it's like the concept of a console game limited run, where like back when stuff was 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 physical only and not full of digital games, you would do a limited run of a game where you would you would carefully only print X number of of copies, hoping they would sell, and you had to try to gauge how much you thought would sell because otherwise you would lose lose out a bunch of money over investing in something that then did terribly. A good example of that was THQ, which died because it did that. 
THQ died because they made the UDRAW tablet for the Wii and it was very successful and they're like, this thing's great. Well, let's go all in. Now we're going to make it for the PS3 and the, Xbox, and the Xbox 360. So they made tons of them for those platforms. And then they didn't sell at all because there's just such demographic differences between Wii users and the other two consoles back then that they just could not sell copies on the other con- on the other consoles. But not only was this too many copies of a game not selling, there were physical copies of a game that had a plastic control- controller device. They had a tablet that you would draw on. And that tablet was expensive. It'd be like as if you made a massive amount of... Uh, if you made a massive number of like rock band controllers and then the rock band didn't sell at all and there'd just be this flood of garbage controllers that you spent all this money on and then your company goes under that didn't happen to rock band that didn't happen to guitar hero it probably happened to rock revolution and some of the other competitors to the rock band gimmicks or tony hawk ride and tony hawk shred the tony hawk games that came with the plastic controller I could be wrong about this, but my understanding is that Tony Hawk Shred, which was the sequel to Tony Hawk Ride, only existed because they invested so much money in the Tony Hawk Ride technology and the controller that they desperately needed to make a sequel in order to recoup the losses of the fact that Ride didn't sell. So they needed to try to make a sequel that could use the same controller in an attempt to basically finish selling off the Ride controllers that never sold the first time around. So they tried to make a sequel and try again at selling this massive plastic that screwed them over. A storefront isn't necessarily physical goods, but it still is like there's a, there's a whole infrastructure to work on and a lot of background stuff that's really complicated and requires a full-time staff and a bunch of crazy things. And uh, and just a proper office. It's you you're essentially starting a new company. And so I would generally expect a new company a new thing like Epic Store to gradually ramp up over time if you're concerned about the problems within the store. Because if they overinvested and made the super best perfect store, or at the very least copied every single mechanic that w- that's available in all of Steam, then they'd be massively fucked if it, was a, if it just flopped and nobody used it. And that's, that's, the, that's the terrifying way that you have to kind of gauge how much to invest it's like it's it's always the problem of trying to compete against the top company in any industry like we have fox and disney merging into a mega conglomerate nightmare company uh and how does anyone actually compete with that when they can actually tell the theaters what's going to happen or they'll pull out and theaters have to listen to them and they just control the industry or uh how do you compete with world of warcraft and the height of its popularity if you want to make a similar mmo you're already starting late and everyone just complains about how your mmo doesn't have all the features that the other mmo has and it's like well we just made our new mmo and we have to make the whole game from scratch it's like well i don't care world of warcraft already exists and that's just the, that's the inherent conflict that happens every single time anything try any kind of any type of new underdog thing tries to face off against a larger thing that's been established for years or decades is that they they, nothing launches as a direct feature complete com- competitor to the thing that's been worked on nonstop for years. And so it's a weird standard that I think is often unfair to, to hold for uh, the Epic Store. And it just kind of, to me, it feels really iffy to have these kind of standards. And mostly these criticisms just bounce off me because they just don't register as things that are important. Like, above all else... It's a digital storefront where games come out, 
some really good games and you buy them with your debit or credit card or PayPal or whatever and then it downloads and then you play it and it works and it patches automatically and I'm like all right well that's the that's the required shit out of the way and that's kind of where I'm happy <laughs> and I, I I I totally do hope that they invest in making everything better over time but like I j- ultimately I just want to play the games and I can do that and there's been no problems with that whole process so far so I don't really have gripes like I do, I go out of my way, for example, to not interface at all with any aspect of Origin in the process of playing Apex, and I'm fine with that. I just play Apex, and it's just it, it's accessed via the Origin thing. As far as the exclusives go, uh, I find it silly to act like they wouldn't always exist. Every digital storefront that wants to be successful at all. Or actually, slash that, every digital storefront has exclusives. Period. That's how you get people to use your platform, and it's how every part of gaming works forever. That's how consoles work. That's how digital storefronts work. That's how Steam worked. EA has EA games. Battle, or Origin has EA games. Battle.net has uh, Blizzard and Activision games. Uh, GOG has exclusives, which is that they it's 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 primarily in the form of these games that are functionally not playable anymore on modern on modern PCs, being remastered specifically by GOG and then available exclusively on GOG. And some of them make their way to Steam eventually if they see fit. But GOG has a bunch of games you can only buy on GOG. And Steam has exclusives. I'm not going to be petty and and say the thing. I'm going to say everything's a Steam exclusive because Steam has so many games that are not only available on Steam and nowhere else. Uh, but you could make that argument on some level. Uh, but even before then, when Steam was carving out its original path, Steam had exclusives. They would put out games like Valve would put out games that only could be played on Steam. And if you wanted to play these Valve games, they sold them in stores. And you would get an install disk or and a, and a code, and then you couldn't play the game because you had to use Steam. You had to sign up for Steam and use and, and and do all that in order to play their game. So from day one, Steam had exclusives, and it continued. And you bet you bet your ass they worked deals to have specific companies support their platform early on and be involved in it and so on. Like that's just how things work. And any, it, if you ever th- try to think about stuff that didn't have any noteworthy exclusives, you're also usually thinking about game, uh, platforms that failed, like the Ouya, which had the... It, I think the Ouya almost had Titanfall as an exclusive for a bit, maybe, until it didn't, and Titanfall jumped ship, and now... Sorry, not Titanfall, uh, Towerfall. I think, I think Towerfall was almost an Ouya exclusive for a while until it wasn't or something, and that was, like, it. Uh... You need exclusives. That's the, that's the only thing people want. Because people are on platforms to play video games, and if all you can offer is the same games that were already available, people aren't going to, like, do the intensive research to say, like, well, this thing does just offer the exact same games I've had available all this time, but it's 50... If this game is 50 cents cheaper here, or it has this particular service that's slightly nicer, so I'm going to jump ship right now. Like, nobody actually does that. 
especially since people have sunk cost fallacy to work around where when they're invested in a particular platform, they want to stick to that particular platform and keep all their stuff on that, that people always complain. I don't want to have a bunch of launchers on my thing. So inherently there's an inertia you have to fight against. And the only meaningful way to fight against that inertia, if you want to have any kind of competition in this, in this whole thing, uh, you have to have exclusives because video game exclusives are the only thing that sell platforms. Like that's just true. People always say that the, the, the people always talk about like the, the killer app for a particular console. Like people, people don't generally buy a console because they want just consoles in general. There's some people that will be like, I just buy the consoles when they come out. I get them all. I need the consoles or the, they, or they're just, will jump on, on ship every time a new generation comes out because they just have accepted the fact that they know they're going to be playing it anyway. So they just get it out of the way. Uh, but generally speaking, you always hear these conversations about, uh, the game that got you to play a, a, wow, my charge just glitched. You always hear about these games that got people to buy a particular console. People will talk about how they bought PS4 for Bloodborne and stuff like that. Like, that's the thing that happens. Like, buying, buying an Xbox for Halo, buying a PS4 for Bloodborne, like, that's, that's what gets, that's what, that's what drives sales. Like, would you have, like, how how would how would you how would have your 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 choice to buy a wii differed if there was a zelda game versus wasn't a zelda game you might even argue that the wii u sold worse in part because there wasn't a zelda game on it for all those years which was kind of a part of the whole thing uh so yeah the console exclusives are just uh, uh, exclusives are just a guaranteed thing and it's just P- PC gamers are getting their first taste of it to some extent, but not really. Really what's happened is that they forgot about all the previous tastes, or they're too young to remember what it was like when Steam launched and was exactly like this, I guess. But I remember, and it was exactly like this. And now it's the big thing everyone uses. And uh, honestly, uh, having an Epic launcher isn't the worst thing ever, because obviously so, so many people are playing Fortnite already, and... Uh, you kind of just have like if there was there's there's not there's definitely worse places to go because it's a it's a launcher that so many people already have because of Fortnite. So for a lot of people, it just isn't a new launcher to add, and so they ha- they run a platform to handle this thing. What bothers me a little bit, and you, and it and it's uh it's hard to actually articulate this because. It's hard to say about any of this in certain terms because of the fact that people are crowds and stuff feels like contradictory statements because different people are saying it amongst the crowd and so on, and that's a whole thing. But uh, people keep saying that they want Steam to have competition so that it's better, but also because they don't want to be this giant mega monopoly because that's bad, generally speaking, and I agree with that. Even if it, even a competition doesn't make Steam better, it's just a problem when one company more or less controls an entire industry. They can do, they can perform destructive habits that can are just bad for everyone. And like one, an example of that being that like Disney was like, hey, we have this massive market share of this industry. You need our movies in order to get people into your theater. You're fucked if we don't give you our movies. So they threatened to wish they threatened to wish, withhold their movies unless people agree to less favorable splits. So they make sure that the movie theaters make less and less money off of ticket sales 
and uh, Disney makes more and more money than the other companies that they compete with off of each ticket, like garbage stuff like that, which leads to situations where the theater's literally not profiting off of the movies being in their theaters, and they can only profit off of selling the concessions up front to the point where like it's it's bordering. It, it leads to a thing where it's like it's bordering on being destructive for people to go to the theater and just watch a movie and not buy anything at concessions because they're not helping the actual theater turn a profit because Disney, but but ultimately it's Disney's fault for fucking them. Uh, and it's a hard thing to deal with because all the top movies every year are Disney movies now. And if you don't have the Disney movies in your theater, then no one's... You're not you're not turning a profit, and people no, you don't have butts and seats, which means your theater closes down. But Disney knows that, so they force you to have less favorable profits, and they they then they're like damaging to the other parts of their industry. That instead of instead of everyone succeeding, they use their success to hurt the success of the people around them, and it's just really toxic behavior. It's generally bad to have one company run everything. It's a really big bummer that. Uh, Fox and Disney are merging the way they are. People are like, oh yeah, the X-Men are going to be in the next wave of Avengers movies. Cool. But I'm like, but also Disney is ruining the movie industry. I, and yeah, I can, like, I can like the movies they make and also still think that their practices are incredibly fucked up. Uh, but, but this kind of thing informs why I want com- competition for something like Steam is because I've, I see these other examples of what happens when one thing runs everything something that i think has been really good about console video games in particular is that they're fucking terrified <laughs> consoles like they've been so scared uh because it's the con- console market is so volatile and it's really cool to watch platform to platform every single console takes an l the playstation 3 did horribly after the ps2 did so well like the ps2 was a, a st- sold so astonishingly well that we were like mid we were ne- reaching the tail end of the xbox 360 th- ps3 generation and i was working at best buy and we were still selling ps2s and ps2 games in the store when like they were getting ready to announce the ps4 it was bizarre because people kept buying those ps2s and f- copies of fifa well into the next generation because the ps2 was such a mega hit and the PSP was, I think, supposed to be a big hit, too. But then the, the PlayStation Vita fucking tanked. The PlayStation 3 was really disappointing for the majority of its lifespan, as far as I'm aware. The Wii took off like crazy, but everyone knows that, like, every other Nintendo console shits the bed. And the Wii U was an example of that. And I, th- I think it was either the GameCube or something was kind of an example. They've, they've had some instances besides the Wii U where just the, the console just tanks. And right now, the Xbox the Xbox was fine. The Xbox 360 was a breakaway hit that did great. Uh, for, it, was like, it was like the top hardcore console, whereas the Wii was the top casual console. And the PS3 uh, was disappointing. <laughs> I, I like my PS3 a lot, but it, it's just, that's just what the numbers were for the majority of the lifespan. Uh, but now the Xbox One is fucked. No one even talks about the Xbox One existing. It's, it's embarrassing. And now Xbox games are coming out on other consoles. So and, and we're getting like the Halo collection coming out on PC and stuff like that, which is a first party Microsoft property. They're the people that run the console. Like it's 
I love the fact that a different console leads every generation because it means that they're just fucking duking it out and they're trying to actually compete with each other. They're all still mega companies and everything, but at least it's shakier. So I want this to happen. I like the fact that right now, if you look on Twitch, and yeah, I'm running around town right now because I'm planning on, on signing out soon. I've already gone way too long. I did not plan on going this long. I'm gonna be so I'm gonna be so behind schedule. Uh, right now, if you go on Twitch, let's do that. Actually, that'll be a fun ex adventure if I can find the front page of Twitch because I'm I don't use this thing enough. Hey there, Twitch. So. Here's the top games on Twitch. Grand Theft Auto V, which you can get via uh, Rockstar's launcher. Overwatch, which is on Battle.net. Fortnite, which is on Epic. League of Legends, which has its own launcher. Sekiro, which comes out uh, tomorrow. Apex Legends, which is on Origin. Uh, not a video game. Counter-Strike, Dota 2. Okay, so at the very, very end of the first row, you get two games that are definitely on Steam. I believe Counter-Strike and Dota 2 are both exclusive to Steam because they're both Valve games. Alright. Division 2. Honestly, people are probably playing that on Steam, even though it is on uh, Uplay. But I think I think a lot of people probably buy it on Steam anyway, which is a bad idea. Like Ubisoft games, I believe you have to install Uplay, so you might as well just get it on Uplay directly because uh, otherwise you have double DRM, which is that you have... You, both Steam and Uplay have to be working or your game will stop working. I, like, I had... That was the problem with the uh, Dawn of War 2 and Dark Souls Prepare to Die Edition is that they were win games for Windows Live games. Uh, and uh, Dawn of War 2 specifically, you could get on Steam... You might have been able to get them both on Steam, but if you bought them on Steam, they still had the DRM of games for Windows Live and you had to have both installed at the same time. And both running at the same time, and if either one broke, the whole thing fell down. Uh, World of Warcraft, Battle.net, PlayerUnknown Battleground, Steam, Dead by Daylight, Steam, Call of Duty, Battle.net, uh, Auto Chess. I don't know what that is. You stumped, you stumped me. RuneScape, I believe, is still a standalone launcher. Path of Exile is standalone. Hearthstone is Battle.net. That's a miscellaneous category. Rainbow Siege is Uplay, miscellaneous, miscellaneous. Super Smash Brothers is a... Wow, the first console game on this entire list? Huh. Yeah, that's a Nintendo game. I don't... Is this actually an individual game, or is this actually just people filming poker? A Satisfactory is on Epic. Like, look at it. Like, the variety here is great. Like, here is your hint at, at the, the uh, market being shaken up. And this is a good thing. I want all these companies to fight. Because capitalism's fucked. And corporations are fucked. They don't have their own interest. They don't have the interests of their own employees or us at heart. They don't love us. And so you shouldn't love them back. You shouldn't love them when they won't love you back. I mean, like the, the fanboyism and the, and the tribalism is all really pointless. Because these people are not looking out for you. Uh... So instead, no, I, I'm happy Epic is doing well because I, I want this shit to get broken up and I want these people fighting the way that's happening right now. This is a, this is diversity and this leads to good shit happening for us because they have to all trump each other and that's the best we can go on. And so that's my argument ultimately. And...
by and large, the exclusives work the same on Epic that they have worked on pretty much any other platform. Uh, so there's been a few record scratch moments where something pivots the last second to be an Epic exclusive just because this entire break, this, the rollout is happening right now. And they tested their they they tested the water a little bit and they didn't know how it was going to go and now they're being more aggressive so uh, some of these are last minute plan changes i don't see anything unethical going on uh in particular because uh like for the the example of metro exodus for example it was on steam and then it was taken off of steam but people it was already up for pre-order and people could already buy it but those people still get the game they never, t- they never completely took uh, Metro Exodus off of Steam. They just stopped selling it on Steam. If you already bought it on Steam, you still own it on Steam, and it, you get the game, and it will continually get up to. It, they, they're they're putting out all the updates on Steam for the people who pre-ordered it, just like how they're putting the updates on Epic, and all the expansions and DLC are going to be added to Steam, just like Epic. Just they're only going to be available to the people that happen to have purchased it on steam in the narrow window where it was available like no one's getting screwed here as far as i can tell on the user end of things so it's the outrage feels misplaced generally speaking and i just i just don't really support the issue there also uh i'm gonna i'm gonna give you guys some homework if you got some time uh potentially check out racevic the channel uh he covered uh, Racevic covered the Metro uh, Metro 2033 and Metro Last Light in a recent review. It's a big ol' hour-long thing. Also features some Mandalore Gaming. Uh, Mandalore, yeah, Mandalore Gaming, which is a great channel, too. Uh, and so it's nice to see him in the video. It's two great channels collaborating. Uh, and he he there's a specific part of the video that's really interesting because they, they, they chronicle how bad of a time... Uh, the developers of that game have done have had because they they're developing in a country where they can't even reliably have electricity or office space and their their or their air conditioning even working and it's it's like it's a really iffy environment and they don't they're not a triple a company and like this is they struggle tooth and nail to put out these games and the games are so lovingly detailed and everything you'd want a game to be like made for the right reasons but really fought for. And if you watch that video, you'll see some of the stuff about that, about how, like, the type of stuff this developer goes through making the first two Metro, Metro games. It's like, they, they they have it rough. And so, like, this kind of choice, it's easy to see it as petty and greedy and shit like that, but, like, no, they... This is indie and double-A. If you look at all of the exclusives on the Epic Store, they're not, like, Capcom games. Capcom's still putting out their games on Steam. These are all the camp- they're the type of companies that need this kind of push. The people the stuff on Steam on on Epic is stuff like Satisfactory and and things like that where like it's a indie game or it's a double A game and they're in a situation where they're in a financially volatile spot uh if they don't get backing and funding and their game flops they everyone in that entire company could be out of a job overnight. Like it could just fall apart and they're fucked. And they spent years working on a thing just for their company to fail. Uh, like the, the, these are the kinds of people that do actually depend on these projects being successful or not, or it all or it all comes apart and they're out of a job and they're and they're fucked. Uh, so these people taking a paycheck from Epic to become an exclusive to their store 
it makes perfect sense. It's exactly why there are console exclusives for indie games and AA games on a regular basis is because those kinds of uh, those kinds of investments are what make or break a company. You'll remember that uh, we only have near automata. I mean, we I mean we only have uh, platinum games these days. The people that, if I remember correctly, made Bayonetta. We largely have them because Nier Automata did unusually well, and then they also struck a deal with Nintendo to make continue making Bayonetta games on Nintendo platforms and stuff like that. Because they were making that one Dragon game for Microsoft, and it was cancelled, and everything fell apart, and they they were just going to f- cease to exist as a company. They talk about that. like Some of these companies are really on the middle of the road to lower end of survivability, and so striking these kinds of deals to keep going is just self-preservation in many cases and frankly epic is a company that can afford to do that kind of thing because fortnite is such a massive hit and uh, as far as ways that somebody could use that kind of profit this is kind of one of the more this is one of the ways that makes me more happy uh making a bunch of cool projects more possible and uh, funding the kind of games i actually like with these money, with this money, like I don't like Fortnite, but I like that Fortnite helps stuff like Ashen and Satisfactory happen and be secure and have a platform and exposure when they could have been a failure in another in another context. Uh, I like that part, and so I'm not going to be bothered that I have a couple more launchers and on the bar and stuff like that. Anyway, I talked way too long about both the things I talked about in this video, uh, in both cases. And not only is this video longer than I meant to be, but I didn't get through very many questions. Sorry about that. Uh, See you guys next week. Be sure to send in questions. I got a couple backlogged, but not really a lot. So I'm going to run out pretty quickly. So thanks for watching like always, guys. And uh, ask me questions. (laughs) And see you next time.